And uh, we're going to be looking at the idea of becoming the church. So uh, this is going to be, I think, a nine-week series, including this one. So this is kind of a precursor. This wasn't actually um, original. We were thinking about uh, the series. We were kind of thinking um, about the idea that uh, we need a prerequisite for true community. And... Um, it's, it's repentance. And we're never really going to come to the determination that um, we can be the church if we don't realize the significance that you and I have. You see, some people think the church are just the leadership. Some people think the church are just the people that stand up here and do worship and preach or teach in a classroom and, and that that's the people that run the church. That's the people that, that um, you know, have the most um, impact. And those are the people that God may have called for a specific role within the church. But all of you, if you call yourself, um, you know, a member of our church or if you're thinking to be, about becoming a member of our church or if you just love coming here and you feel like you're a part of this church, you are just as much a part of what's going on on here than anybody else. And so the cool thing about that, there's two, there's actually two sides of that. That's really cool because it puts us on a level where we can all share in the grief when we hurt, right? When someone hurts or someone's, someone's, you know, going through a difficult time, we have a family, extended family of God that can help us through that time. We can provide meals, which we have a meals ministry here, which people, if you're not aware of that, if you're ever in need, uh, if, you're, if you're in the hospital or some, something's going on in your family and you, you're just unable to supply that for your family for a certain amount of time so you can uh, tend to your family, you know, let us know. We have a meals ministry which will supply you with meals for a certain amount of time while you can get back to your feet. Um, we do that with lots of people that go into uh, the hospital for surgeries and stuff like that. Uh, we also, uh, there's just a ton of things that we, we can do together that we could never do separate. And God intended it that way. God intends for us to be a community of people that work together toward one common goal. Now, when I was younger and I was a little child and I used to play a little league baseball. Anybody else play little league baseball? Some of you? Okay, so I wasn't very good. And um, they stuck me out in uh, right field, which if, I, if you know anything about right field, no one ever hits it to right field because you'd have to be a left. Usually, you, you know, I don't know how much you know about this, so I won't bore you with too many details. You can say thank you. And so <laughs> I wasn't, I was kidding. So um, if you're at bat and you're a left-handed batter, you normally hit to right field. If you're a right-handed batter, you normally hit to left field. Well, normally people were not left-handed batters, although I was one. And... Um, it's weird. I swing left-handed and I throw right-handed. I don't know what that means. Maybe I'm weird. That's, that could be what it means. I'm weird. So, um, so they stuck me in left field, or I'm sorry, in right field. And so I'm sitting in right field and I used to literally, I just go, nothing ever happened. So I would just walk around and I'd look at the daisies and look at the, the dandelions and I'd pick them up and I'd do that little, you know, mama had a baby and a head popped up. You ever hear, you ever see that thing? You know, you, that's all I did all day. That's all I did. I'm sorry if you've ever, if you're, if you're, if your baby's head ever popped off, but I know that's challenging for you right now. So I used to walk around, it's all I did. And people used to, Mike, pay attention to what? What am, I, what am I paying attention to? There's nothing happening. Everything's happening over there. Nothing's happening in here, in my vicinity. So I would just sit there and, um, and flick dandelions around and count blades of grass around me. I did. I actually would count, try to count how many blades of grass were touching my cleats. <laughs> That's how boring it is in left field or in right field. So if you're a coach, please rotate your right fielders, make them feel kind of special. So 
So I would sit there, and one time, though, I, had, I, didn't even, I wouldn't even pay attention. I just would, I'd lose interest in the game. I wouldn't pay attention. Well, one time, this left-handed batter comes up. Well, I didn't know he was a left-handed batter. So um, he cranks it, and it's coming out. And, and I, I hear the, I've heard the crack of a bat a million times. Never looked up. Could care less. Never comes to me. So I'm just sitting there, and I'm flicking dandelions and whatever. And I look up, and everyone's looking at me. And I'm like, what? <laughs> They're like, look out. <laughs> That's what they, they didn't even say catch it because they probably thought I couldn't. They just said like, run away. It's coming towards you. So literally, I didn't even know what to do. So I just stood there and went like this, just kind of take, ready to take in the impact. And you know that little thing on the top of your hat, that little ball thing, that hard piece of whatever that is on the top of your hat, that's where the ball hit me. Went boom. I went, oh. <laughs> Passed right out, passed right out. So that was my main, that was like my highlight of my little league career um, was getting smashed in the top of the head by a baseball and going to the hospital. So I had a little concussion and everything else. But later on, our, you know, we have a really small town. So we moved from little league to this intramural adultish, more t- older teen league. And so we're still the same team and I still have the same reputation. Does anybody ever have a challenging time removing yourself from a reputation that you had in high school? It's like, I'm not that, per- I don't pick my nose anymore. I'm not Becker the nose picker. They never called me that. But you know, like I'm not that kid anymore. I'm older now, I'm 19, I'm 34. People on Facebook still probably think I'm that kid that they knew in high school, and they're like, hey, befriend you, dork, you know, whatever. And so um, <laughs> I just need a counseling session, I think, about my, my days in high school. So, um, so we get a little bit older, and we're in this phase of life where we're, lo- we're a little bit better. We're a little bit more, you know... Um, sports acclimated and I'm a little, I actually became a pitcher. So I'm, I'm pitching on my team. I was okay. Um, but it was really fun cause I couldn't really catch. So if, as long as I could throw, then that was good. If you make me catch it, I'm not that good. So they put me in the pitcher round, but there was this one team that we would play and the, the pitcher consistently and only we, we found out later that it didn't really happen a lot unless they were playing us where he would hit a lot of our players with the ball when he'd pitch. And specifically, now we got to the point where we're thinking this kid's doing it on purpose because it's just kind of getting eerie how often he is smashing our team in the side, in the leg, in the head with a baseball. And so um, we began to kind of, it, it, our team was kind of misfits. We came from all different places in our community and we really, some of us only knew each other when we were on the baseball diamond and, you know, you know, hung out. We didn't really hang out outside of that. We saw each other and our families would come and, you know, you have the one dad that yells at everything and, and the mom that's knitting, she's not even paying attention. You know, grandma's knitting, doesn't know what's going on in the game. You know, that those kind of, it was like a hometown family oriented type of situation. And so, um, but we begin to come, you become united around this cause. If he hits, we all, we all talked about it. We didn't tell our coach because our coach would have blacklisted us. But we said, if he hits one of us, we're all just going to instantly rush the mound and just bash him. Cause he did it like eight times before. So we're like, if he hits anyone, we're just going to go. And we're all like, yeah, you know, we're all like, yeah, we're going to do it. So now he's pitching and we're, we're, we want him to hit someone and he's not hitting anybody. We're like, Turn! every pitch. We're like, oh man, you didn't hit him. Like, how did we go from being angry to we're cheering him on to hit him just so we can go beat the mess out of him? And um, so finally, finally the pitch comes and it, it nails this dude. And we're all looking at each other like, are we really going to do it? 
Are we really going to do it? Are you going? Are you going to go? Are you going to go? We're all looking like, are you going? Are you going? Well, who's going to go first? And then all of a sudden the batter just chucked the bat down and ran. And we all got up like this mob of crazy people. We're like, I mean, when you, when you got like 15 to 20 middle school, almost high school, testosterone crazed, kind of weirded out people running at a mound, it's weird. I mean, when you, I can't imagine what that kid was thinking as we're all rushing him. Because literally, he didn't even run away. He's just like, like, what's happening? What are you all doing? And how did you all do it at the same time? And we didn't even do anything. We just got up to him and, like, jumped on him and just made a big, huge pile on with him on the bottom. And, um, yeah, we got in a lot of trouble that day. But... <laughs> Um, it was to us, it was so well worth it because he never hit anybody again. In fact, they, I don't even, I don't even know if, yeah, I think, I don't even remember if he pitched again, but, um, maybe he was scared of our team. I don't know. But, um, so there's this interesting idea of when something is really, 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 really ignited in someone's heart and something goes down and something happens. It's interesting what can ignite in the rest of the people around them. And we were united around this cause of beating this kid to death. Right. But thank God that we are united in a different cause in in our Christian community. Right. All right. So, so just to kind of bring us in line, our goal in our Christian community is to revolve and unite around a single common goal. It is not to beat people. It is to care for and to bring the gospel to our world. God made it very clear that us as a community of believers have one central goal, and it is to bring the gospel to the community. It is to rally around each other to come here as a hub and a place where we can find um, care and and reignite in our faith and and have good things happen within our, our spiritual lives. But then we are to go out and do what we need to do. And we're going to talk about a couple of things um, in the coming weeks. Pastor Byron's going to bring forth the idea of what is the church and who is the church so we can understand the idea behind that. But I wanted to kind of look at this idea of repentance as a prerequisite for true community before we even get into the idea of who and what is the church. Um, so uh, grab your notes, and um, we're going to look at uh, this verse in Acts Because as we work through this series, God may, in fact, I will be hard-pressed to find out that God doesn't do something really powerful in your heart that's going to cause you to take a really hard look at what your position is in our church or in a church in general. If you're visiting from out of town, you can think of this as a how it would relate to your church. Because if we are not a repentant people, then the only other option is to be prideful. Because pride will stop you from repenting. Justifying your actions will stop you from coming to God and asking him, what do I need to do to make this the place that you want it to be? So let's look at these verses and uh, see what they have to say. Repentance. Uh, Peter said this uh, in Acts 2, 32 through 39. Um, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now, just as as a side note, just stop there for a second if you're reading. When it says you are all witnesses to this, what Peter is saying is there are people in the the audience he's speaking to, he's saying, you were there when Jesus came back. You've seen the risen Savior. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses. So he's saying, basically, he's saying, I challenge some of you to stand up and say that's not true, because that would be a lie. You know that that's true. And did you know that there has not been one document ever found in the, in the 
anywhere near the time frame of Jesus rising from the dead of somebody writing and saying that it was false. Nothing. So that's a pretty powerful case. So if anyone was going to, that's the time to stand up. That's the time that someone could say, what do you, Peter, are you on something, bro? Because no one saw this Jesus but you, Mr. Hallucination Boy. Like, that's not true. Whatever you're talking about is, is, is a false. It's phony. It's made up. Nobody does that. So let's go on. He says, now he is exalted. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us. Just as you see here today. For David himself never ascended into heaven. Yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at the place of Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, make them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Let me repeat that part. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. So he is actually preaching to people who could possibly have been part of the process of crucifying, physically crucifying Jesus. Peter's words pierced their hearts, pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? They're wondering, okay, we're starting to get it. We're starting to believe it. This Jesus guy really did what he said he he was going to do. We can't deny he rose from the dead. This is all way too much. This is too big for me to deny. And so what do we do now? Now that we've got it, now that we understand it, now that we believe it, what do we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Now, Gentiles just refers to non-Jewish people, people who would not have been participating in the Jewish customs and the feasts and the sacrifices, that even if you're not part of the Jewish tradition, you can still be found in favor with God through Christ because you no longer are born into a community of Jewish descent. You are now be able to find community with God through Jesus. So um, very, very cool. So all, so this is for all, anybody, anyone in this room can come to God and find forgiveness. Anyone in this world can come to God and find forgiveness. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what you believe. Um, currently, it doesn't matter what you were brought up in. It doesn't matter what, um, what, what, what job you have, what color you are, what type of car you drive. It does not matter. Everyone is invited. That's what makes this amazing. So the road of redemption is this. We have to look at what is this actually saying? It's saying that confess and repent. And I wanted to show you the difference between confession and repentance. Confession is agreeing with God about your sin. This is the first step before repentance. You'll never repent if you don't believe that you're wrong. But confession is agreeing with God about your sin, basically saying you're right. And this whole time I've been wrong. That's confession. Now, Confession is not the same as repentance, and confession does not bring forgiveness because confession simply acknowledges a wrong. And how many of you with young children know that your kids can say one thing but do the exact opposite, right? They can say, I was wrong, but not really care and want to change. We have to kind of help and train and teach. Confession is agreeing with God, and it says Peter's words pierced their hearts. They began to realize there was legitimacy to these claims. They began to be stirred up in their hearts that something needed to be done. And that confession of something needed to be done was not the end result, was not the end of the story. There was something they needed to do with their confession. So some of you may be in a position where you've confessed, 
where you've confessed sin, but there's, it's, a, it's a reoccurring theme in your life where you always have to, you're confessing, but there's no repentance. You're confessing, but there's no repentance. My hope today is that you can find freedom from that and you could actually come to Christ for the first time maybe and find forgiveness. Confession is agreeing with God about your sin. Number two, repentance is changing your response to your sin. That's repentance. Repentance is deciding I'm not gonna do it anymore. I'm done. I love God too much to do it. Jesus is my new Lord. This sin is not gonna control me. I love Jesus too much to do this. I heard a, 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 um, like a title for a Christian that says a Christian is someone who loves Jesus and hates sin. Loves Jesus and hates sin. I like that definition. It's simple. It means whatever I love more than Jesus means that there could be a part of me that, lo- that hates that part of Jesus that's asking me to give that up. And um, I think it's really important that we understand what Jesus is actually asking of us because if we don't understand what Jesus is actually asking us, we can live a life that's maybe not at, at where we're thinking it is because we've come up with our own conclusions. So Jesus is asking us to remove ourselves. It says, repent and turn to God. Now, I like the idea of to turn to God because repent means I leave, I leave one way of living and I start a new one. It's a whole new beginning. That's why the Bible says when you come to Christ that you're a new creation. You're done with that. You're all about that. You're done with sin. You're all about Jesus. Does that mean you're not gonna sin anymore? Probably not. You're probably gonna do some stuff from that point on that's gonna be contrary to God's word. But the moment that happens in your heart, God can begin to reveal those things. And little by little, he can begin to shave off the things that need to be shaved off. And I think that's one of the things that will begin to happen as we work through our series of messages in our community series of becoming the church. We're going to realize, I think some of us are going to realize that we have to come to terms with the fact that we have some things to repent of before God can use us to a greater ability. Not just because, not because we're a dirty, rotten church, but because every church would need that. Every church has another level that they can get to at the longer and more they're responding to God and grabbing a hold of that which he wants for them by removing themselves and repenting of the things that are stopping them. So repentance is changing your response to your sin. It's interesting when you think of a doctor and when a doctor, they wash their hands and they wash their hands all the way up as far as they, they just wash and wash and they're washing all the time. They're always washing their hands. They wash before a surgery. They wash during a surgery. They wash after a surgery. They wash before a checkup, during a checkup, after a checkup. They're always washing their hands. Why? Because they don't want any bacteria or germs on their, on their hands, on their body as they're doing surgical procedures. So because they want to succeed in what they're doing, they remove everything that could stop them. Does that make sense? They get rid of, they wash all of that stuff off so that when they're doing what they're doing, they get a positive result. And they want to do everything they can to remove the chances of that being um, destroyed. And so my hope is that God begins to show you and reveal to you, here's the stuff I want to do in your life so that I can do things in your church so that your community comes to me. And here's where it's going to start. And I, I pray, even though it may be hurtful, I pray that God would begin to really engage with your heart and reveal to you where are the places in your life that might need the most work so that as a community, we're a better people. Do you realize that the Christian life is not about being better? God already made you perfect in heaven once you're in Christ. Outside of Christ, you're eternally evil. In Christ, you're eternally saved. So 
Being a Christian is not about being a goody, goody, goody guy, goody, goody girl. It's about acknowledging him and bringing people to him. And sometimes we default to making it about me. I got to be better. I got to be better. I got to be better. Is that exhausting or what? I got to be better. I got to be better. I got to be better. I got to stop doing that. I got to stop doing that. Oh man, I did it again. Oh no. Oh man. Oh. (laughs) Done. Throw the towel. That's not what it's about. God said, I will create in you a new creation. I will do the work. You just follow me. I will do the work. You just follow me. And the longer you follow and the harder you follow and the more passionately you follow, the more those things, God will just begin to reveal them and they'll become easier to get rid of because you're worried about following Jesus, not about all the extracurricular stuff that you're trying to get rid of. God may reveal those things to you. So now here's the idea that I thought we should talk about because I think this is a pretty cool um, and significant topic. It says in the, in the verse there, it says, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Um, now, just so that you understand, baptism, as it is in these times, baptism was your public declaration of your allegiance to Jesus. It was your public declaration of your allegiance to Jesus. Now, just to kind of give you an idea, Caesar back then was, that's, they came up with this saying called Caesar is Lord. Caesar was on money, you know, um, he was the guy, the, the main, the big cheese, the main dude, tough guy on campus. And Jesus comes around and starts preaching these messages that I'm God, I'm the same as God, I'm not a Lord, I'm the Lord, I'm not a way, I'm the way, I'm not a life, I'm the life. And so um, I'm not, I don't just know the truth, I am the truth. And he starts making these claims and, and claiming that he can forgive sins, which only God can forgive sins, and claiming that he can do all these things that are reserved for God, and he's causing this stir. And so this guy Caesar um, was on, you know, if you were a part of the kingdom, then you bow down to Caesar. And literally, just so you understand the impact and the significance of when people were baptized, they were literally saying, I no longer serve Caesar as Lord. I now serve Jesus. I have literally switched teams. Do you see how dangerous that could be in a community, in a society where everyone was worshiping Caesar as Lord? It was on the money. Caesar is Lord. And now people are beginning to say, nope, this Jesus guy, he's legit. He just rose from the dead. He just died for my sins. And I'm leaving my life of serving you and serving the true God. You are no Lord at all, Caesar. In fact, this is the Lord. And you might not have a guy named Caesar running your life, but you might have something in your life that you've called Lord and that has captivated you and that you serve beyond that which is God. And Jesus would say, would you remove yourself? Would you ditch that God? And would you serve me? Would you remove yourself from being captivated by that? And would you see me and be captivated by me? Would you look at the cross and see what I did for you? Because whatever it is that you're serving will never give you what that gives. In fact, it will only rob you of whatever it is I'm looking to give to you because it'll take and steal and destroy everything that I want to have for you. And so baptism is your public declaration of allegiance. Now, he says, even before that, Um, whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. So we have to understand those two terms. Lord is the one who leads your life and Messiah is the one who saves your soul. Lord, does so the question I have for you is maybe you've given your life to Jesus for the salvation of your sin, but is he the king? 
Does he rule in your heart on a throne that says, I call the shots because I love you? And do you trust me to sit on the throne of your heart and call every shot and, 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 and make every decision that I want to make for you? Have you given me the right to do that? And if not, then I don't sit on that throne. I either sit on it or I don't. It's either my throne or you've offered it and given it willingly to something else or someone else. So the Lord, the Messiah, the Savior also needs to be our Lord. He, doesn't, he isn't just the one who saves us, but he is the one who leads us. So those, that's some big questions. And see, the reason why this is important for us to look at as a church is because if the Messiah and Lord, if, if we aren't allowing the Lord to lead us, then we will begin to want to lead differently. And everybody, everybody will want to lead in a different direction. Everyone will want to have a different outcome. And everyone want to have a different vision. So flip your page over. Just so that I can, un, just so that I can give you a really, hopefully understandable, um, very clear and concise idea of what repentance is. Repentance is turning your heart toward God. Now there's three counterfeits that are not that are not repentance that people will default to because they're easy. They're easy. And they're worthless. They don't do what you think they're doing. So three counterfeits you'll encounter as you consider a lifestyle of repentance because I want you to understand something. Repentance is a lifestyle. It's something we continually do. We realize we've done something. We go to God and we say, I don't want to do it anymore. I want to follow you. Okay, good. And then here's another spot. I remember when I first became a Christian... <laughs> He just started revealing all of these things in my life. And I'm like, whoa, holy cow, I'm horrible. <laughs> I am a horrid person. I thought I was really good. And he's like, yeah, but look at that. And I'm like, yeah, that's bad. That is really bad. And then I'd be like, all right, I'm not doing that anymore. And then he'd be like, okay, so what about that? And I'm like, even that? That's bad. I remember sitting in my room and I would just, and I'm praying and I'm reading. And I was like, so, you know, when you first become a Christian, you're like thirsty and hungry. And I'm just reading. I would be under my, under my blanket at night and reading, you know, the Bible and, and, look, and, and reading different things and God would just speak to me and, and I would like be blasted out of the water by all the things that he was calling me out of. And, it, and he would always be like, this is not what I have for you. This is not what I have for you. And I'm like, man, is this ever going to end? <laughs> I'm not going to have anything. I'm going to walk around with a cane and a toga by the end of this with a, with a blindfold over my eyes so I can't see anything. So um, mere confession is the first one. This is a counterfeit. It's a counterfeit to repentance. Mere confession. Um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, he says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. And I believe that that is one of the things that when I, when I was originally becoming a Christian and really growing in my faith, um, that really made me realize that sinfulness is a childish reaction. Arrogance is a childish reaction. It's based off emotion, not decision. Um, pride is, is, is a childish reaction um, because it's, it's just all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me and what I want. And it says, when I was a child, and I, I can kind of look at that and say, when I was sinning, when I was a sinful person, I, I talked like a sinner and I thought like a sinner and I reasoned like a sinner. But when I became a man, when I found Christ, I put those ways behind me. They're all done. Because I wasn't that guy anymore. Ignatius says it, it's impossible for a man to be freed from the habit of sin before he hates it. It's impossible for man or woman. 
to be freed from the habit of sin before he hates it. So that's my big question. Maybe you just love sin too much. Maybe you like it. Maybe you like doing the things that you do. And maybe, maybe for some of you, you've become better at tricking people into believing you're not doing them than, than actually wanting to serve the God that calls you out of them. Maybe you've become better at fooling others instead of confessing and repenting and coming to God and finding true, true forgiveness. That, I, I'll, I'll be honest, that's me at times. Sometimes I'm in a, in a spot where I just don't want people to know about certain things or I'm in a tough, you know, just going through a tough time. And there's times when I just want to be removed from that. But man, is there freedom when that's exposed and, and I have people who can help me and come, come to me and, um, and I can talk to and we can reveal those things and I can ask for forgiveness. The next thing is worldly sorrow. Now the Bible actually calls this out and says that this is not true repentance. Um, this is remorse over losing the world's approval over God's approval. Um, it says godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. So what is worldly sorrow and godly sorrow? Well, godly sorrow is remorse caused by having lost God's approval that leads to a desire to reverse one's conduct and live for the glory of God. And basically you see God and you're like, I don't want anything to stand in my way. I don't want anything to stand in my way. So whatever's standing in my way, I'm going to get rid of it. Because you're sorrowful that that's hurting your relationship. You're not demanding that God let you get away with it. You're confessing that it's getting in the way of you and God. You're repenting of that act in order to not do it anymore. You want to reverse the conduct to bring honor to God. Worldly sorrow is remorse brought about by losing the world's approval that leads to a desire to alter one's conduct to obtain approval. You're not necessarily reversing that, that is what you're doing. You're just altering it so that people can be okay with it. So basically what you're doing is you're just trying to get the minimum amount of people to not argue with you about it so that you don't have to listen to their smack about it and you don't have to talk about it and you don't have to come up with excuses of why you should be allowed to do it. Worldly sorrow is I'm just going to do what I need to do to get people off my back. That's worldly sorrow. And I want to save you from that. That's a, that's a horrible version of what God wants for us. That's a, that's a tainted version, a, a, a very um, useless version of what God wants for us. He wants to totally change who you are. And the last one there is religious repentance. And this is someone who tries to repay their wrong with good. And this is kind of a, a, a pretty famous one or a pretty, um, a pretty normal, regular one in our world. Um, listen to this verse in Ephesians though. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is a gift from God, not by works so that, you, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So God has prepared things for us to do, and he changes us in order for us to be able to do them. Do you realize that? God doesn't change you so that you look better. God can save the most rancid, nasty, vile, sick, ugly, sinful person on this planet. He does not need beautiful people he just needs obedient because the more obedient you become, the less you can boast because God will begin to do some amazing stuff. It says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. The moment that you try to just fix yourself for yourself is the moment that you will do it for the wrong reasons and you'll give up. 
It won't be, it won't be worth it anymore. It won't be worth doing anymore. It won't, be, it won't be worth chasing anymore because Jesus is not your goal anymore. You are. Jesus is now the ends. Jesus is now a means to the end of making yourself look better. And when that doesn't work out, you'll give up. So here's just a couple reminders. And I want to I close with a very specific um, idea here. Repentance under construction. Uh, repentant reminders. Uh, number one, repentance ends in death in the death of sin. This is how, this is, this is just the bullet point list. This is how you know if you've repented. Repentance ends in the death of sin. Whatever you've repented from, that's why we confess of sin and we repent from sin. Get that? We confess of it. We repent from it because we're walking away from whatever it is that we've repented from. So repentance will end in the death of that sin. It will be no more. Repentance ends in the birth of new life. God can give new life. And how many can say amen that you have new life in your life because God has done something miraculous within you? God has done something miraculous. Now, don't get me wrong. You and I will continue to make mistakes. This does not mean we're going to be perfect moving forward. And I don't ever want to give you the idea that that could be true because that would be just as damaging to your life as trying to continually fix yourself. You got to go to God to fix you. But he will continually bring these things and there will be death of that sin because we won't want it anymore. You won't want it anymore. There's something different than going to God and asking for forgiveness because you feel bad and asking for forgiveness because you want to glorify him. There is a huge difference in that response. God, I'm so sorry, make me better. God, I am so sorry, you are worth it. So different. And the last thing is repentance ends in the desire to please God. If at the end of a confession or at the end of what you would believe is repentance, if you walk away going, yeah, all right, good now. All right, I can go back into the world now that I'm, ooh, man, that was good. I am all set. You probably haven't repented because the moment that we repent will be different people and the idea will be, what can I do for God? What can I do for God? What can I do for God? If our worship team can come up, we're gonna close in a song. And this is a, a really, I think, opportune time for us to think about um, what we've been doing, what we've been talking about. And I wanted to leave some time at the end of our service for you to really come to terms with, I'm just going to kind of lay out some ground rules for us as we go through the, the series and just kind of allow you to see some of the things we might be discussing. We're going to discuss ideas of slander and gossip. We're going to discuss ideas of division and, and, and dissension and creating factions. We're going to discuss the idea of um, just, just what it is that you personally could develop in your life that could, that could shipwreck the life of a church and specifically the life of this church. And if you're a member of this church, I'm going to believe that you want it to succeed. I'm going to believe that. I'm going to believe that you don't just want it to succeed um, for your sake, but you're, you're truly genuinely looking for this church, Living Word, Assembly of God in Ontario, New York, to be able to effectively administer the gospel to our community to effectively administer the gospel to our community. And that means that you and I are going to have to put away 
some of our selfish, we're going to have to put away some of our childish old ways, and we're going to have to become men and women of God. And so here's what I'm going to ask you as we begin. Um, if you guys could stand up and we're going to close in this song, but I'm going to ask you to just consider doing something. This is going to be a, a, a tough idea for maybe some of you to consider, but I'm not going to ask you if you, are, if, you, if you are currently doing any of those things, but I know within me that there's potential. There's a certain element of potential because of my ego or because of certain areas of my life that I know God is consistently working on that if not kept in check, will destroy this church, could destroy this church. Let me, let me be crystal clear. Satan can only do as much damage as you let him do. He is only as powerful as that which he's taken over in your life. And God is ultimately and infinitely more powerful than that joker. So my question to you is, what is it in your life that if not kept in check, and let God answer this for you, let God and be open to it. Don't say, don't, don't put on the, the stiff, nope, nope all the things that I want, everyone else should want, and that's just how it is. So I'm not going to, nope, I'm good. That's easy. I want God to soften us. I want God to move in us, and I want God to prepare us for the coming series that could change who we are as a church. So if God puts something on your heart that you know, you know something needs to be done, you can come up here and you can confess it and you can repent from it right up here in these altars and we'll just let you come and do that you can do that at your seat it doesn't matter where you do it but I'm going to call you and I don't care if you're the only person that comes up here that means you're the person that might be starting something big in our church so I'm going to I'm just going to I'm just laying it out there for you to decide let God do something in your heart that says soften me reveal who I am reveal my potential to bring this church down so that you can build me back up and I can function the way you want me to. Let's pray. And these guys are going to lead us in our last song here. Heavenly Father, just uh, move in us, God, right now. I pray that you would just really do a work in our hearts. Reveal to us the areas that might be the most dangerous for us to act out in our personalities so that we can be a benefit to each other, so that we can be a, a God-honoring, gospel preaching, gospel-functioning church. Heavenly Father, I pray that you are, you are just so real with us and you are the perfect one to reveal this to us because in the midst of that is a joy come, that comes from knowing you care enough to tell us. You care enough to reveal it because you care enough to change it. So I ask you in Christ's name to have your way in us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to Father, I pray that we would understand the significance that we hold as individuals over the completion of your work in this place. I pray that we don't take lightly the words that come out of our mouths or the, the, the motives that come out of our hearts or the just everything that could come from us, God. It, it's serious. It means something. It says something. It, it reveals something. And so, God, I pray that in the midst of all of this, you can be clear about what we're doing. You can be clear about what we're called to. You can be clear. Um, God, speak to Pastor Barton. Give him. God, I pray that just continually pray that he would just be able to have that vision that, you've get, that you keep giving him and that he would be able to bring that out and, and bring it forth to us, God, through this message and through these series of messages, God, that we would understand who the church is and what the church is and our role and that it would just unite us. Ultimately, God, we need to be united and you need to be that which we are united around. So God, I just pray that you would just humble us. Perhaps we haven't been humbled in a, in a long time. Perhaps for some of us, God, it's, a, it's, a, it's an awkward feeling of being humbled because we've stood our ground for so long. We've planted roots in a place for so long that for you to unroot us, for you to, to rip us out of that soil that we have been producing for so long is going to hurt. But God, I pray that little by little you would soften us and that if we have removed you from the throne that is in our heart, if you don't reign there right now, God, I pray that you would come back, that we would invite you, that we would allow you to do whatever it is that you need to do in our lives in order to reclaim your king, kingly role in our hearts and our lives. God, for anyone in this church who, who this, whether it's their first time or they've been coming for a while, they just never really made the choice to make you their Lord and Savior, God, I pray that today would be a new day for them. I pray that they would see a God who loves them so much that, they would not, he, that he would not allow them to stay in their sin, but he sent Jesus, his own son, to cure their issue, their sin issue, to make means for them to come back to him. God, help them to make that choice today to repent, to ditch that life and to follow the new one that Jesus has. Help us, God, to see the significance of our choices. We don't just affect us, God. Reveal to us the deepest parts of us that need to be changed. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. As you guys are heading out, um, think about this when you're on your way home with your spouses or family or whoever you go home with. Think about, ask yourselves the question, ask each other the question, what could you do that could possibly take down the church if it was left up to you and that was what would happen? Ask, ask the question, ask, the deep, ask each other. Say, what is it about you? Don't ask, don't ask your, your spouse because that would be dangerous. 
Like, don't, don't tell them what they could do. That'll, that'll be bad news. But we ask each other, what do you think is within you that's dangerous for the community of God? And see what God does in your, in your lives. All right? All right, get out of here. This is love.